it pains me to say this and give myself credit, but it was a decently traumatic experience going in and out of doctor's offices and having them tell me that there's nothing wrong with me for years. And then going home and basically just squeezing my knuckles white for 10 hours until I try myself to sleep because of the pain and, and knowing that there is something wrong with me. And I, I'm just scrambling for someone to listen. My name is Sean and this is Suicide Noted. On this podcast, I talk with suicide attempt survivors so that we can hear their stories. Every year around the world, millions of people try to take their own lives and we almost never talk about it. We certainly don't talk about it enough. And when we do talk about it, many of us, including me, we're not very good at it. So one of my goals with this podcast is to have more conversations and hopefully better conversations with attempt survivors. Now, another goal is to help more people in more places feel a little less shitty and a little less alone. And I hope we're doing that. And I want to thank everybody who's been involved to help us do that thus far since we started in July of, wow, July of 2020. Now, if you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at SuicideNoted.com on Facebook or Twitter at SuicideNoted. You can check the show notes to learn more about the podcast, including our membership. And of course, rating and reviewing Suicide Noted helps people find it. And yes, we want more people to find it. Finally, we're talking about suicide on this podcast we don't hold back so take that into account before you listen or as you listen but i do hope you listen because there is so much to learn today i am talking with l l lives in british columbia canada and he is a suicide attempt survivor l in bc that's it do you think this is a dark subject to talk about certainly yes i, I mean it can be. It always has dark undertones, at least. Mm -hmm. How'd you find the podcast? I'm curious. I typed in the word suicide into Spotify. It'll come up. I did see other stuff for sure. And uh, your formats, both like just like the nature of the conversations and then also a few that I listened to just really resonated with me. So yeah, that this is the, uh, the only one I listened to, actually. It wasn't my seductive voice? It was the it was the voice and the charm and the and the and the and the incredible good looks on YouTube that I that I, I get that a lot. L, I get oh, yeah. Let's get the audience up to speed here. So L is in British Columbia, uh, our neighbors to the north, as we sometimes say. Which can we just say this right now? Uh, it's not really relevant to the conversation we're having, but I'm a little tired of everyone saying how fucking nice Canadians are. Yeah, I, I hear you. I, I I'm also tired of it. Society. <laughs> If there was a meter, some way to really gauge niceness, do you finish ahead of Americans? Maybe a smidge, sure. Too regional to say, right? I mean, you go to Montana, jeez, uh, those people are about as friendly as they come. And then if you go to Toronto or, or Montreal or Vancouver, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, everyone's a bit of an asshole. So It's more of like an urban thing we're talking about. Could be, could be, yeah. All right, so you find the podcast... Thankfully for me, selfishly, you listen to one or two or more, you reach out, we connect. Now, when somebody finds a podcast and they find it because they, they put the word suicide in, in your case, into Spotify, you know, it begs mm -hmm. the question, the obvious next question is, why are you putting a word, that word into Spotify? The day of me finding your podcast, I was going through a particularly extreme crisis and uh, was scrambling for relatability and some sort of story where I could feel a part of, maybe not necessarily a part of a group, but not so alone in, in, mm. in my experience as it was happening. It was basically an act of desperation to fulfill that, try to be a part of it. So you listen to it and look, I'm not looking for any back padding here at all. I, I just, I'm curious. So we're, when people talk about this stuff, is that enough to feel like there's some level of what, hey, whatever you were looking for is, I guess, what I'm asking. Did it help? Yeah. I mean, I listened to about four or five back to back because you, you, you had a backlog. By the time I started listening, you had quite a few episodes out. Some of them were brought a sense of relief or relatability. Some of them did the opposite. Uh, they made me feel more desperate, more hmm. alone. And that's just the nature of how nuanced every individual 
episode is how complicated the whole self-harm uh, self-demise process can be i guess hmm. after hearing these and it's interesting that you share that that some of them were helpful and others weren't and i love it i don't want them to not be helpful i just love mm-hmm. honesty that like i love just truth yeah. And how how's hearing some people, whatever what they're saying, or maybe how they're saying it, whatever it might be, made you feel not so good or even worse than that. Okay. But you still remain in the minority, I assume, of people who hear it and then want to talk about it. So is there yes. some is that is that yeah, why why is that? I think that um my experience in the past was again the reason why I tried to find a podcast and I stumbled upon yours, luckily, is the loneliness and feeling that but despite it being a weakness and a sense of fragility, there's a sort of uh, shame that comes along with that through uh, feeling like I'm too weak and that I'm destined to just be better off giving up because of I'm, I'm too weak for life. And so in me talking about it, it breaks down that stigma, um, just one voice at a time, right? I think that's what I got out of it hearing my demographic, especially that was really fulfilling to hear you had a guest, a a young Canadian male, tough guy, but just was really going through it. And so just to hear voices like that, and hopefully I can be like a drop in that bucket to, um, if anyone else is in a similar position, they can not feel like such a worthless piece of shit, I guess. And just understand Mm -hmm. that it's, it's actually natural and it's actually more either common or, or just out there than they might think. Mm-hmm. So there's a sense of duty that comes along with it. And then, you know, there's also a selfish element where this is, it's cathartic for me to share. Yeah. You know, I think you can check all those boxes and sure. they don't, they don't, you know, they can coexist. You said uh, my experience in the past, right? That's, I think, what, uh-huh. you, I think right, what is, so what is your experience? Too big, broad? No, it's not too big. It's, uh, it, it's, that's the nature of a podcast. That's what this is for, is those broad questions, I guess. Um, I may or may not have been uh, born with some pathological predisposition to be depressed and anxious. I certainly went through a violent upbringing from people in positions of authority and power over me. Uh, in, in growing up, continued to have decently traumatic events take place. Um, never felt like I fit in. Whenever I did fit in, it was always a persona. It was always a, a sort of a third party form of myself just performing, basically. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I was quite successful at it. Um, but there's a certain level of exhaustion that comes with being inauthentic. And it eventually, a- around maybe 18, 19, 20, that performance started to break away to that sort of like that, that hidden, buried beast that I had been keeping at bay for. For, for a couple of decades. That's when the depression and anxiety started to really come out. And first of all, very classic symptom, extreme, uh, like, you know, the, the frozen in bed for, you know, 72 hours at a time, get up and have junk food and go to the bathroom and go right back to bed, kind of typical things like that. Um, then that started to be met with a lot of shaming from my social circle, name calling, basically borderline bullying, I guess you could mm-hmm. call it. Mm-hmm self-harm started to kind of kick in because i took too much too much value out of their criticism i no longer take any value from that kind of criticism but it's hard when you're so unaware of what's even happening you do feel like a a lazy piece of shit really that's the internal bio so i'm not worth it uh i want this pain to go away and you know committing acts of violence on myself smashing hitting lacerations yeah, and, 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 you know, uh, other things trickling into like hygiene, uh, diet or, or lack thereof, right? Yeah. And, and it, there's a feedback loop that kind of develops there where as that happens, your social circle starts to fall away, uh, mm-hmm. especially if it's so artificial as mine was. And then you get the introduction of loneliness just by separation between yourself and other people. And that really exasperates it pretty bad. Yeah. And th- there were some events that happened to me as well. One was a very like traumatic injury. It was a, a car accident and uh, a uh, intoxicated driver hit my car. In that happening, I, I, I got some uh, a, a spinal injury and some brain trauma. I guess they, they classify it as mild brain trauma because I, I still I still had all my faculties, basically, just a lesser version. 
the house of cards fell immediately after that and 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 yeah very rapidly all of my perform per- performing normalcy and 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 the version of myself that i had kind of propped up as that facade was <laughs> uh absent the pandora's box was opened how long ago was that 8 years do you have memory issues because of the accident yeah specifically the accident itself as well yeah I'm curious about the performance. How would you characterize it? Were you like the funny guy or the crazy guy or the lunatic or the, or did it just vary? It, it, it varied. It, you know, I, I'm never an outright asshole, or at least I try not to be. But yeah, a little bit of like mind over matter type of thinking or maybe using humor as a defense mechanism and trying to uh, minimize my own and other people's issues i guess mm-hmm. yeah min- minimizing everything yeah a bit a bit of like a salesman for my own identity as opposed to just putting forward whatever i had and did you come to this sort of realization on your own just living life and trying to figure it all out yeah not in a healthy way uh but it did it did come to the forefront that i had developed like a social life that i wasn't really built for and and a a lifestyle generally that wasn't bringing me any happiness and so that really exposed it but there there wasn't a healthy transition from that into anything functional that has taken a lot of trial and error uh pharmacological efforts a lot of talk therapy alternative therapy and then because of the nature of the physical trauma that happened in my back a lot of physical therapy as well that kind of goes hand in hand with it how bad is your back it's pretty good right now actually um i i work really really hard uh on making it stay good but i had uh, multiple procedures done on it uh one pretty invasive one you know there, there's all sorts of bureaucratic issues in canada with our healthcare. So it did take me years for it to get approved and actually get up op- an operation done. But at the same time, the other side of that coin is the, it was free mm-hmm. and it was accessible to me eventually. So that was its own obstacle for sure. It, 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 again, like I myself speak, the way I speak to myself is very critical. So it, it pains me to say this and give myself credit, but it was a decently traumatic experience going in and out of doctor's offices and having them tell me that there's nothing wrong with me for years and then going home and basically just squeezing my knuckles white for 10 hours until I fry myself to sleep because of the pain and and knowing that there is something wrong with me and I'm just scrambling for someone to listen. Such a bizarre way to be treated. Not bizarre, just I don't get it. I don't either. I mean, in some way, and I hate to say this, frankly, I get it where someone might be depressed and say, now there's nothing wrong with you. This is actually your back. Physical. I almost wish in a, in a sort of twisted way that there was like a rib that broke through my skin or, or something that had more of a tangible breadcrumb trail to yeah. my injury to just show like, hey, listen to this kid. He is going to kill himself. Like, you do not understand. Incredible amounts of... Uh, is neurological pain too, so it was, it was quite um, mischievous. It, it dances around and it's very complicated. And and one day it'll be here, another day it'll be there. Mm-hmm. I carry that with me a lot. And again, like the word trauma is used a lot, maybe overused. The word trigger is used a lot, maybe mm-hmm. overused. But I, I I get I get triggered quite easily um, when it comes to people blaming that I'm being dishonest. Oh. Uh, and it must have to do with not being taken seriously in these clinics. But it that those are one of the very few things to this as of right now that can actually make me quit to anger in a defensive way. Is is that claims that I'm being dishonest? Man, there's there's got to be more than one takeaway from these conversations for sure. But one of them that's always like on the top of my list is believe people. Like just fucking yeah. believe. Like I'm saying this really to others, not you. You're more mm-hmm. on the receiving. And though you might have been on the giving end at one point in your life too. Just believe them. It doesn't even matter if a handful are, are stretching the truth or flat out lying. Like it's such a better starting point. It it is, and belief can even come secondary to just listen. They are very tied in and, and 
perhaps one and the same. And I guess the when when I was mentioning like the kind of the Pandora's box was opened in in going to these clinics and and speaking with therapists as well because that was a part of my treatment. The first time I'd ever been to therapy was post accident. Yeah, I, I say Pandora's box because for better or for worse, all of the brain trauma and the physical pain, the the floodgates broke down, and I started to feel very visceral trauma from my childhood, from my school, from interactions with police I had during you know my early teen years, uh, and all sorts of abuses, and so it, yeah, they, they they kind of conjoined into this like uh, you know Power Rangers, how all the Power Rangers are super strong on their own, and they come together to create this like mega Power Ranger, and that that it picture that, but an evil version. And made up of all sorts of different traumas coming and just beating the shit out of me. And that really was what pushed me from being in a state of depression and self-harm and, and, and terror into almost like a, a craving, a lust for death, a sort of final solution. This can all end. This is too much. Mm -hmm. I need to die. Yeah, a need, a feeling of a need, not a need, but a feeling. When was that? And that was about eight years ago or, or sometime after that? That I mean, I, I would place that at about six and a half years ago was when that really started to kick in. And and it's come in waves. It's been basically persistent, but yeah, in, in, in varying intensities. When I started to listen to your podcast, that was when it was at its all-time high. Uh, I had a series of edits done on a will, a couple of uh, methods of choice. I had timings, I had personal notes to people close to me written um, and, and not completed, but, you know, in the editing process, uh, I had done all my research on where my assets would get distributed under the law and, and, and all of that by the time I had found your podcast. How long ago was that? I didn't ask you. May, roughly. Yeah, I would say March, April, May-ish. And again, it, it's the traumatic nature of it makes it a little hard to pinpoint. So yeah, sure, sure. So you, so six and a half years ago, it starts, it peaks then, you know, obviously as best you can recall, is ideating a, a constant or near constant? No, as of right now, and, and, and for the past number of months, I'm in a really good place, actually, uh -huh. really good place. My relationships are very strong. My physical health is for the rest of my life. I'm going to have a chronic pain disorder, certainly, but all things considered, I'm in a pretty good place physically and you know, professionally as well. So from when you found the podcast till now, it's been better. I wanted to gauge from more or less six, six and a half years ago when things start to get pretty bad up until this spring. How bad does it get? How often are you thinking about it? Are you also thinking about method and some of the other things that you mentioned? There, there's not a perpetual thought of this has to happen today. That, that That's not taking place. There were phases where you know, a couple months at a time in that in those few years where I was certainly every day. With that being said, uh, waking up was always a disappointment. I hated to realize that I was still alive. Mm. Um, and and I, I I've I've learned to it, for me it's been important to make that distinction between wanting to not be around and then wanting to kill myself mm -hmm. and. Um, I had always wanted to not be hated mornings very much because of that reason. I would also stay up with uh, extreme anxiety up until, you know, four or five in the morning because I knew I was only in a few hours going to experience those sensations again. And that was a terrifying notion. And of course, the way our health and the way our bodies operate, that in and of itself feeds into anxiety through just sleep health you know sleep mm -hmm. hygiene being mm -hmm. poor and that's really the, the mixed bag of, of mental health or mental illness is how all of these nasty little things really feed into one another in in a, in a, in, a, in the darkest way the self-harm came as a remedy for the moment it came as a remedy for the moment so an extreme crisis and i'm i'm just scrambling physically i'm i'm, I'm squiggling around because i i my 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 nervous system is just firing on all cylinders without any fuel to keep it going either. And I'm just scrambling and squiggling on the ground, basically, just manic, wanting to not be alive and needing to have some sort of other sensation. 
and I, I, I count my blessings that I'm not, I don't have, at least I don't think I have a, an addictive personality. So some people may turn to narcotics and I turn to lacerating myself. So I would, I would find uh, something within arm's reach, grab it and drag it across my skin really hard. And sometimes I, you know, on my left thigh, I've got car, I ca- carved out chunks of skin. So like a, like whittling instead of just a straight cut, it would be like I would I'd cut like a wedge of flesh out. And so I would actually have a, a piece of my skin in my in my hand. And the the, the dark part about it, much like alcohol or, 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 or drugs, is that it, it works in the moment. And then of course the next day comes around and the extreme shame floods in and the embarrassment of having these marks on my body and hiding it and wearing long sleeves and wearing pants and it getting infected because I'm not showering. Yeah, all all of these nasty things. Mm-hmm. It really uh, ties some cement shoes to your feet and, and keeps you low, keeps you sunk. All the while, and I know it, it probably, and you'll tell me if I'm wrong, sort of comes in waves. Every day of those six and a half years weren't the same, right? Like you said, but you're working. This is what amazes me. And if you're not, it's okay completely. I've just, it sounds like you were working some, you were trying to maintain some level of physical health, whatever it might be. That's astounding to me. I mean, is that what you were doing or am I off on that? I was doing that. Uh, I, I, you know, there, there, there's windows of time where I wasn't working, but for the majority I was. This is an issue that I have. I, I cannot take or give myself credit. It's it's a really challenging thing for me because of the, this shame that's so deeply embedded. So hearing that is it makes me cringe. I feel like I don't deserve it even if I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's all part of this. But the, the physical health thing, I needed to do it because my body needs like a fortified structure for it to be able to have any relief. So that was, I, I you know, I have like a built-in excuse. Like, sure, I was working out and continue to, but if I didn't, and if I don't, the the pain comes with with that with a vengeance. Bad. Yeah, working professionally, working uh, because of my past. I, I I think that in my social life, let's say, I was able to put on a a mask and, and pretend. Whenever the work would start, I'd sleep in, be late, miss appointments, lose clients all of the time. But I would still get in there, and when I was working, I was able to present. That is. Uh, one of the most exhausting things I, I, I have I've ever done. As soon as I would leave uh, a meeting, let's say, break down into tears in my car, basically mm-hmm. every time. And and I'd never was able to understand it. I still don't. It makes a little bit more sense now why, but the wave of emotions was basically just whatever those past few hours would have been, we're all backed up against the dam. And then as soon as I'm able, it would all just flood out in the moment. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I have a very strong inclination to separate my my worlds, uh, social, r- romantic, family, occupational. I separate them for better or for worse. It's just it's just something that I do, something mm-hmm. I've always done. I am outwardly an advocate for mental health awareness or mental health um, acceptance and breaking stigma. But very rarely, if at all, does that ever come with a personal anecdote mm-hmm. at, at all. Yeah. yeah. Almost never. Basically never. Basically never. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I will refer to statistics. I'll refer to, you know, maybe even movies or I'll refer to certain podcasts, including yours, but it'll never come with like, oh, this happened to me, blah, blah, blah. Here's my story. Never, ever, ever. So this is an exception. Hardly it is because it's uh, anonymous and I feel comfortable in the anonymity, very comfortable. It's when it, that separation of my identity mm-hmm. isn't there. That's what it is. Why not include your name? And I'm completely fine with whatever we choose, but you know, L is great, but why not? Fear, fear of stigma. I, I, I think that there's a maybe one day people by and large will see mental illness for the illness that it is and the way that we fall off a tree, break our arm, and we don't feel embarrassed to tell people or go to the hospital with a broken arm, but we do when it comes to traumas and and, and other mental health uh, issues. So just yeah. for now, I don't think the world is ready and I'm not prepared to go through 
the process of having to educate or, or, or see the way people look at me. And it's fear. It's not fully rational. It's a, it's an emotional response. Yeah. I'm such, I'm, I'm quite cynical. This might not come as a surprise. I don't think we'll actually ever be there. I don't ever, right? But it's not in like the next 10 years. I know. I agree. I, I think there's some momentum in a good direction, but at the same time, and uh, this is something that I was wanting to bring up on this podcast, um, is th- th- there seems to be a, a romanticization in pop culture right now of depression and, and mental illness. Like a lot of, a lot of music is like quote unquote emo seek. And like, it's a sort of rite of passage of being an artist is to be depressed or a rite of passage to be like a, a, a unique individuals to go through this sort of dark experience. But as much as I think that kind of levels the playing field, it also adds this false lightness to yeah. wanting to throw your body off of a high object and die. And it's really that, that people don't know what they're talking about and do not take it seriously enough in that regard. And it's sort of commodified in a, in a sense. And I think that that's a blockage between the sort of momentum that I was referring to about it getting more or less and less stigmatized. No, I agree. I do. So given all that, I'm pretty sure absolutely zero human beings know we're talking. My therapist does. Okay. What did your yeah. therapist say about it? I think his exact words were, oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I said it in the, the last like <laughs> remaining 30 seconds of a session uh, of this past weekend. So there wasn't much time to discuss anyway, but yeah. I love that. Oh, cool. More like, enthusiastic than that, but that's the quote. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I would la- I want to hear, I don't know why I want to hear people say stuff. Like I'm waiting for people to be like, and my therapist said, who the fuck is this guy? That's a fucking terrible idea. You know, like I do think there's, you know, one has to be aware of the dynamics in as much as you can. So because I'm the guy, right, I'm the host and I started the thing. I am always wary, like, please never come on here with any expectations of how you're supposed to be or yeah. you, know, you hear 10 episodes. I think whether you realize it or not, one, not you per se, that like, oh, there's a way to do it. And there's not. And even though I have a real problem with like these short-term psych units, you'll hear me talk about that often. I really welcome people to say, no, 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 actually I had a great experience. You know, I'm not here to say one thing or another, but I have my opinions, but I'm sure that that impacts, here's the point, that impacts how people present, how they show up, how they, how their comfort level, you know? It, it, it does. And I did not have any expectations. I did think about taking some notes to see if I wanted to go in certain directions myself. But yeah, I feel like if someone was to say, who the fuck is this guy? That might be fair if you were behaving in some therapeutic, directly therapeutic way, which you're not. You're you, This is a conversation and, and it's just about experience. Uh, you're not doing any Dr. Phil shit. So, <laughs> you know, I, I don't think you are. It's, it's, it's a lot more uh, informal and we're just, we're sharing, you know? Yeah, I do think probably some people, it doesn't sit well with them because of the nature of what we're talking about, right? We're not talking about cars or like, you know, how well we trim our beards, beard care, beard grooming, right? It's like, okay. But, you know, I've said this before and I do want to hear much more about you, but I've got a shockingly very little negative from anybody this whole time like i can count on one hand really like that's amazing to me i would expect i almost think i'm doing something wrong because (laughs) if you're talking about suicide regardless of how you're doing it you should be getting people being like charged up not my goal yeah i i I see what you're saying yeah the the, uh just the nature of what the conversation is about and bring a lot of energy yeah. and, and, and some you'd imagine some would be bad, but I, I don't know. I think that the, your approach is very, uh, it's just so open-minded and I feel like that's something largely missing, not missing, but, but few and far between these days. So, yeah, well, I appreciate that, man. Um, that is the goal. You look at almost any Facebook post, right? About anything and you're going to get some vitriol. That's just literally yeah. the nature of the whole Social media, at least, if not the, all the interwebs. Can't can't drink a glass of water without someone saying it's bad for you, right? So, right. Yeah, no, uh, you, you brought up short-term care units, actually, and that, that kind of uh, struck a chord with me because 
I have put myself into in a couple of different cities that I've lived in over the past six, six, seven years. Um, I put myself into the ER for in, in, in crisis. The last thing I would want to do in saying this is keep anyone from making that decision to stay safe. But I have had extremely traumatic experiences in those places um, because of those places. I, I don't know what the fix is. I don't know if it's just me in the darkness I was in at that time and reading my experience through that lens, but uh, being put into a facility, much like a prisoner, um, very similar protocols as, 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 as an inmate mm -hmm. in, in many ways, you know, looking over a couple of meters away or, uh, you know, a few feet, sorry, American listeners. Um, right. Thank you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> And there's someone, you know, drooling and covered in their own shit mm -hmm. uh, over there, and 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 a cop has to be standing in front of them, and and then they look over to my other side, and there's someone who's uh, under some extreme other circumstance that's similar, and I'm sitting there, I'm like, am I this fucked up? Like, am mm -hmm. I like it? Just made me feel like I was in a, a Hollywood movie where I'll never get better, and they're gonna lobotomize me, basically. And I should get a lobotomy and I deserve to get a lobotomy and I'll never return to normal life or I'll never be able to have one and I should just kill myself. And that was very strongly felt basically every time I was in an ER for mental health. And you always went because you chose to go. There were two times where it was ultimately my choice, but it was basically I was forced and borderline threatened by people close to me and i understand their position in, in doing that but it was like you're going right now and it was like get in the car let me hold your wrist really tightly kind of like you're not like we're going and so it, i i if it was up to me i i would have not gone and i could have basically sat on the ground and they wouldn't be able to do anything i was never uh, uh picked up by authorities if, if that's kind of the question what i'm most interested well not most what what interests me about this is what you say about it, sadly, is not at all surprising, right? Your experiences. Mm -hmm. I want to gauge if you should or when you did tell people about it. I want to see their brains working and or just watch their faces. Not so much that they don't believe you or whomever. It's more like, well, I mean, what do you? What else do you expect? Like I, I've experienced that a lot. And so maybe I'm just projecting. And I, of course, I've heard it on the, talking to people. It's like, what else do I expect? Why has that become acceptable or even remotely close to the norm? That's what fucks me up. No, no, no. I appreciate the way you framed the question. I think that a lot of the, the response was they were surprised, people very close to me, let's say my partner at the time and my dad, let's say. that th Those are two people that were very involved and reluctant after years of me pretending and being so effective at presenting something inauthentic when that pandora's box opened and there was no closing it only dealing with it it came as a surprise because it frankly was surprising all of the criteria behind my crisis was already present when i was performing that character of i'm fine i'm okay i'll get through it on my own you know pulling up my sleeve and showing like insane lacerations and open flesh and, and stuff it, it, it's it's a shock to the system and the responses were not conducive to me getting better but at the mm -hmm. same time it, it's it's a loved one deeply loved one in so much crisis and so in such a surprise i do not blame them at all and and and, and i i even when it, you know at points i would go into like because i didn't think i deserved to get better i would go into like caretaker mode and and try to like make them feel better and put myself in, in, in the back seat. And just because of stigma in the world and because of all of these things are behind closed doors, it, no one has any education. It's, it's like, you know, you, 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 you fracture your ankle. You're probably going to want to get off of it. You're probably going to want to elevate it. You're probably going to want to take some anti-inflammatories, let's say. And everybody knows that on the, on the top of their head. But if someone is going through crisis, like no one has even an inkling of like, what those tools could look like. So it was a lot of, oh, let's watch, let's watch, uh, let, let, let's give some brevity to the situation. Let's watch The Office. Let's, let's change the subject. Um, things like that, w which are both wrong, but still 
rational and coming from a place of, of love and 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 care. They're still wrong, but 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 it's it's you know what are you going to do? They're not trained professionals, so. I mean, they're wrong if they're preferring American office over the British office. <laughs> yeah, I would agree with that. Um, well, I mean, the the uh, the British office is enough to make me crawl under into a hole from the cringe, but that's a that's neither here nor there. Yeah, uh, Carell was fine. Carell was great. They're both both. <laughs> I just I always appreciated the original. I actually happened to be in England when that was out, and I just was like, oh yeah. Was so blown away by its genius. I never really got behind the American office because I was like, this is the British office, but just it's in America and there's different characters. A positive spin on everything, whereas the British one is more of a everyone falls flat on their face and never really recovers. They just pretend it didn't happen. That or the country. Well, you know, it's yeah. interesting. I, I always find like when you say about the fact that like these people meant well, let's uh, let's say uh, they're wrong, they do this, they do that. I, I also encounter people who are 100% sure they're right. And they're not because it seems like, yeah, I'm not going to be able to articulate this clearly. There's a lot of information out there, mostly, you know, like memes and platitudes or whatever else that yeah. people I think that I experienced do think they know what they're, they're a hundred percent sure that's the right thing to do. And what's frustrating is it doesn't often seem to be much room for, it might actually not be the best thing for me right now. Absolutely. And, and I think I'd even go further than that and say that. There are some people who, whether they have never experienced crisis or whether they've pretended that they haven't or whatever, they're stuck in a, in a, in a very old frame of mind like depression doesn't exist or it's mind over matter and these kinds of positions. And then, you know, we have, we have social media influencers that are remarkably famous. I don't even want to put their name out there. People like that, they're saying like, oh, it's yeah. all about it's all about grinding and it's all about mindset, like baby through. mindset, baby. That's listened to by, by millions and, and, and influences people. And, and, and it, you know, it, it manifests in, I had people in my life that, you know, through the grapevine, it would, it would, it would get to them. I would never seek out their help, but it did uh, get to them the information about where I was at them reaching out to me with unsolicited advice. And mm -hmm. again, I, 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 I'm a bit of a, I'm a cynic, but when it comes to people, I, I try to find the best in people. So it does come from a an attempt at help. It's an utter failure. They are wrong, and it's shallow as all hell, but it comes from love. A lot of this mind over matter, oh, you just need to do this. You just need to do that. You need to have more salt in your diet. Uh, you, need, you need to get your omega-3s. And like, yeah, like omega-3s aren't going to stop the... Like, a it's such a naive tape where... That's not strong enough word. It's like, by the way, I'm I'm super into like language and words. I'm weird about it. Uh -huh. The word just, you just don't ever put that in anything when you're talking to somebody. If you're mm -hmm. ever saying the word just, get rid of it in this context. It's never going to be helpful. Yes, I agree. That exact just, thing has crossed no, my mind. No justs. It's basically making everything shallow it, yeah. th that word introduces yeah. it, it removes any depth or nuance immediately just in yeah. one single four letter word so simple yeah. Al. i know you've been struggling i hear what you're saying you've been struggling for six months now and all that but it just takes some fatty three fucking whatever they're called and make sure you get the multivitamin and i don't take a walk make sure you're walking every day yeah and, and three-year-old here man i know about fucking walking and, and fatty acids thanks in my Physical therapy, I learned such an amazing piece of advice from a, a, a PT, a physical therapist. And he said, this he was speaking about my, my physical injury, uh, become an expert in your injury. And mm. I, I, I do think that knowledge is, it can be incredibly powerful. And so that I, I took that and ran with it and started to research and study about, you know, um, sort of the, the biochemical makeup of the brain and, and how uh, brain trauma can alter that and just sifting through as much as I could. And I, I, I think I have some innate curiosity, so that really helped, but it was also motivated by desperation and hearing advice from people that I was like, that's bullshit. Like that doesn't make any sense. How can I argue with you next time that you try to bring it up? Because I don't have the tools or the info right now, but that sounds like bullshit. I'm going to look into it.
But in doing that, I was able to empower myself to understand why I was taking torn up pop cans to the inside of my arm and cutting and, 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 and smashing Ikea furniture over the top of my head and why I was making those split decisions. And it did actually really help um, in, in, in managing that explosivity and that, and that violence I was inflicting on myself at times, you know, of course it's imperfect and, and, and it's just coming all from me toward me about me. So that kind of ties into my next point, which is I was kind of raised in a, in a, in a household of, of mind over matter and, and men don't cry and men shouldn't display weakness or men need to be protectors and caregivers and, and can't ever seek out protection or seek out care and always give it. And so I did carry that with me for years and in, in, into my, into my own mental health bullshit and, 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 um, and, and all of the mess. And so I inhibited my own recovery and my own health and my own well-being because of that. Mm-hmm. And, and again, that's why I'm part, partly why I'm talking right now because that is without a shred of a doubt nonsense. And there doesn't exist a single human on earth that ever got to any point of achievement of success without some semblance of a network or some semblance of, of help or, or care or empathy from others and sharing and giving. And that, that's basically what makes us human. And uh, yeah, young men out there. Um, the only thing that makes you less than is if you try to do it on your own, basically. And, and, and yeah, you try to hide. I understand why though. You know, I do too. The messages too. and the, I mean, just think about it. Like when when you're 14, right? Mm-hmm. What do you want more than anything in the world, right? For me, I don't remember my exact age. It's all about girls. Whether mm-hmm. you like girls, you like boys, it doesn't matter. When you show yeah. emotion and a girl laughs at you, not in a good way, because she's yeah. 14, 15 herself, right? Whatever. Versus you do another thing that's more aligned with the macho guy and she shows you attention. How are you going to act? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So. I'm just going to be this guy and present this way. And and you get, sometimes you get rewarded, right? You might be the cool oh, kid. Yeah. You might get the girl guy who gets all the girls, you, whatever. It's not as if acting that way always gets all this weird negative feedback, but we're told to anyway, because that would be like, really? I think your parents are a yeah. little out there. No, it's tricky. It's fucking tricky. And and the the irony is that that girl who laughed at you for being weak was herself told that that was a, a laughable thing that you did all of it's you know it, it, it's so deeply connected and it, yeah um i feel very very strongly i think i've mentioned this uh really beaten it into the ground but stigma and exposure and, and all of these things are so critical to sort of um opening up the door for people to seek out help or develop because it's not just you to hide it's it's other people that need to be educated on the fact that you're out there people like you are out there and (laughs) if you were to go up to people that i knew uh let's say eight years ago they would they would have no idea that i was in a position of of wanting to end my life or, or or seven years ago what have you so there's just no way and the way that it all comes out of the woodwork for me was through extreme crisis and and basically like i cannot imagine the police coming to my mom's door and telling her that her son killed himself but if i can have that crisis bring that out of me then perhaps i can at least a drop in the bucket help someone uh before they ever have to get to that point you you've never however we're defining attempted you never Uh actually attempted right like you said it's hard to define i guess uh i've had equipment ordered online mm-hmm. in my apartment with a setup ready to do it mm-hmm. at a moment's notice. I don't want to talk about the method just because it's That's fine. Yeah, it's a little too uh believe me, the too people, much of an idea to give people. Pe- people if they're ambitious enough, they're gonna find it. Okay. Yeah, so exactly. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean like myself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And other people who I've talked to it may not be the exact same thing, but it's probably similar. I have a sense. and It doesn't matter exactly what it is. What matters, though, I'm curious, as best you can recall, I guess that's a given. What stops you? There's actually an unhealthy thing that stopped me, which is not myself. For me, it was my dog not 
having me this uh like visceral movie like cinematic level image of my mother receiving the news basically mm. she did say in a her own crisis of this situation my situation saying like it was she threatened me basically saying like if you did that like i think i would mm. and 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 uh that is not healthy i don't think it's good but it kind of was a big motivator behind second guessing my decision waiting another day and then that turned into okay i'll wait another day okay and then i'll, I'll wait another day so that's one example right the machine if that's what we're calling it, contraption um how many times did that happen whether it's that or another method where you were that close and you stopped and then you thought one more day and then that turned into another day well another time was more of like the typical uh really 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 deep laceration that would have you know like in the bathtub with the hot water thinning my blood with aspirin attempts to cut and bleed out and then in the bleeding process after all is said and done changing my mind and going to the ER which in that case I lied to the doctors because I didn't want to get put into the ward mm -hmm. I just told them that it was a really bad laceration. Mm -hmm. I didn't say that it was self-inflicted. This was on your leg? This was on my left arm. They didn't press you on that? I made up a, a lie that I'd rather not share. And it was sure. really convincing. And again, I, I, I'm unfortunately like an expert bullshitter when it comes to my mental illness. So. Oh, yeah? Are you bullshitting yeah. me? Maybe you're bullshitting me the whole time. Who knows? Who, no, who knows? No, I'm, I am not. But uh, you can take my word for it if you like. I do. I, I like. <laughs> I want to. Yes. Yeah, good. I've said to you so far, like, yeah, let's let's keep that out, or or mm -hmm. um, I won't I won't explain any further. And that that's me stopping myself from lying and just saying like I don't want to go there. But it, th there was another case where uh, I was listening to you and I emailed you and I was walking to go scout a local bridge to see if that was going to be a part of the methods I was going to choose from. I was listening to you on the podcast and on on route to this bridge I stopped sat down and I got my dog some water from a 7-Eleven because it was hot out and I and I and I popped out my phone and sent you an email actually no way whoa on yeah. your way to scout out a bridge that you would presumably jump from not that day but yeah to go see like it was a very calculated situation, so I wasn't just going to go off the cuff jump. It was a, how am I going to do this? Where am I going to land? How do I inhibit people from having to see it and get their own trauma and things like mm. that? But that that that's what, that's the idea. And then I actually, was, it was right next to a fire department, and a well, I was go, I was going to walk into the fire department and just like straight up say like I'm actually like on my way to go scout out like a suicide position. Can you help me, please? Like, I don't know what I'm doing right now. Like, I don't want to die, but I kind of do. And I didn't go into the fire department. And, uh, but that, that, that was all on, on the, this about two hour window on the day that I sent you that message. Yeah. I'm going to check out what that message said when we get off. It's just the opening email. It's just that one. I don't think it necessarily has to do with finding the podcast, but you said for like the past six plus months, you were doing pretty well mm -hmm. relationships mm -hmm. and other things. But then you had the bridge thing, which was when? May. That summer? May. All right. So got it. Ish. Yeah. Something mm -hmm. like that. May ish. Yeah. Have you ideated since then much or at all? Since then? I mean, after the fact, it was, it was a deep, it got worse after mm -hmm. that. Um, it got worse. And that, that's when I decided the, the bridge method was not for me and more of a private at home method was going to be my choice and deep research and legal research about the you know getting my documents in order liquidating my assets into cash all things like that like very very methodical and and and, and uh, pretty be damn planned out letters written to people and line items of my possessions that i couldn't liquidate nor would i want to and who they were going to go to and so this is after you reached out to me yeah why didn't you do it you know i don't think that that's ever going to be that i don't think i'll ever know the answer to that I was stimulated in, in the worst way by life circumstance, and it was all piling on 
in that period of time, I found a therapist that I had been struggling to find. Like I had never gotten a connection, which is so important above all else, all credentials, all education is that connection. I had, I had been through so many bad therapists and so many, so like very outright terrible therapists and, and then others that I, that were great, but they just weren't for me. Um, and on all everything outside and in between that, and I found a therapist and I was able to develop some techniques and, and, and even be educated and, and uncover certain things about myself where he basically gave me permission to feel feelings for moments, put that self-deprecating language in, 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 in the back for certain amounts of time and, and get, like improve my self-compassion and, and just, just be good at his job, be good at uh, connecting with me. Yeah. I had a, I had an upbringing of violence and I had never found a therapist that had ever known what that was like and what that not made necessarily from personal experience, but a lot of violence. And and, and that really tied into a lot of this and that I I haven't even spoken to you about. You can let me know if you want to hear about it, but I Mm -hmm. was able to tie that into my feelings of self-worth and, and and wanting to die because I had convinced myself that it would be better for myself and everyone around me if I was to die, ultimately. Um, and so I was really on the edge. And I think he'll actually end up listening to this and it, it'll be even revealing for him uh, to hear this stuff and to, to, to the degree that I've been close to dying under mm. my own hand and his role in preventing it. If you are listening... Al's therapist, I have two words for you. And those two words are okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for that. All right. So, yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. Cool. No, it was, you said it was more upbeat. Like, okay, cool. Let's go. Let's oh, cool. Yeah. Cool. Nice. Yeah. Well, I do want you to, to share more if, if you want to, I think when you said, hey, do you want me? I, I'm willing to share more. I think you were f- specifically referring to the violence or did I misread that? I think that's more or less what I said. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it is kind of a, a common uh, tale, alcoholic parent, And then the other parent was uh, perhaps a little bit absent, at least mm-hmm. in terms of like time spent in the home. There was quite a bit of a, a, quite a bit of um, affection in my household. The word love was thrown around a lot, but um, extraordinary levels of anxiety, substance abuse, and um, a lot of unchecked violence from my older sibling, four years older. And the violence didn't really come in, 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 a, in a normal form. It wasn't just like beating up, fighting, and him getting the better of me. It, 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 was, it was actually very sadistic, very psychologically motivated like uh he would wrap plastic bags around my face and uh, until i you know either stopped breathing and then he'd let me go and or like he would lock me into boxes like chests or big large plastic totes and sit on it and then as soon as i you know he, he would he would make me stop screaming so that he could let me out and there were there were very weird circumstances where i would be out playing hockey with my friends or a canadian activity and he would hunt me in the neighborhood with his friend and he would hunt me like it, it, around and like try to like seek me out in alleyways and he would like zigzag between the neighborhood to find me and then when he did it would be yeah like a like a, a gang beating i guess it would you know he, i don't think he would stomp me in the head but it would be beat the, he'd beat the shit out of me in front of my friends make me cry and humiliate me and then call me a faggot and a pussy and things like that and then you know the parents of the neighborhood got involved and my parents would be like oh you don't know what you're talking about mind your own fucking business and things like that so very a lot of embarrassment, a lot of shame, deep humiliation, challenging or stripping away like manhood that I was trying to uncover and find on my own. That is stuff that I had under his guidance, my brother's guidance, and under my family's guidance, always previously considered to be just a normal part of brotherly love, just a normal part of growing up. And that is certainly one of the things that got let out of the bag after my car crash and after all of these things came to the surface that was dragged with it you know there are other things that i'm not really going to get into because i don't really feel like talking about it those kinds of things really got dragged along and buried me later on Mm. and were one of those weights that kept my head below water i guess Mm. yeah i heard you say something man it was like 
X, Y, and Z, this stuff was happening, but he didn't pound me in the head. He didn't stomp on my head. Sure. Yeah. I do the same thing. I do the same thing. It's like, yeah, but I mean, at least, you know, it, it's not the same as a bully who lives down the block when they you live in the same home with a bully and it's your family and it's your blood brother, right? It, it feels different. It does. It very much does. Because all of a sudden, two days later, uh, we're playing Nintendo 64 and laughing with each other, right? And because we're just, we're stuck in the same home and we're in our pajamas on a Sunday morning. It, that's why it's so deeply complicated. And I feel like that's why it took me so long, uh, two and a half decades, basically, to really come to terms with the fact that that wasn't okay. And the narrative given to me about it was basically just false. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, it, it, it helped me in, a, in, a, in this weird way, like to be tough that he did that. And, and it's not okay. And it's not worth the trade at all to be, to be have certain types of, of resilience that I do have as a product of those obscure and weird and sadistic types of things that he would do. But I would justify and rationalize it because of the weird little function that it did give me. And the, and the sort of strength to, to overcome people who attempt to bully me or, or things like that. It's so, yeah, it's, it is very deeply complicated and I can't begin to understand it. Um, you guys, you guys still talk? Yeah. There were three years there where uh, roughly three years where we didn't speak because of his, uh, inability to acknowledge. He, he never changed that behavior. It stopped being violent, but it was a very similar approach to communicating and, and belittling and, not just to me, but to, to basically everyone around him. And, hmm. and, uh, I didn't want to put up with it. So I would like, kind of stand up against it. And then that was a, uh, that created a lot of conflict because bullies don't like to be stood up to. Um, and so it was basically like have conflict or not have any relationship. And I kind of basically chose the distance instead. My question is, is this contraption still in your home? No. And it's funny that you say that. It rings a bell. Uh, earlier, I said I don't have a substance abuse issue, and I, I'm not actually too sure how true that is. I don't have a chronic, ongoing, perpetual battle with alcohol, but I have had a bout of time where I self-medicated with alcohol, and it was bad. I was, you know, I, I'm I'm about 195. I'm exactly 195 pounds actually, and. I'd be drinking maybe 20, 24 beers a day, every day. It was the only way I could get through the day. Now I can have one or two casually, like maybe once a time, one, once a week, and I'm okay perfectly. There's no cravings or anything, but it was bad. The reason I bring that up is because you said, is it still in your home? And, and, and I said, no, it, it, its presence was haunting and just seeing it was very demonic and, and, horrible and so I, I i don't keep alcohol in my home not necessarily i get a craving but it brings me back to a time where not too long ago i wanted to be gone mm -hmm. and as we speak here on a monday late afternoon early evening different time zones you want to be alive or something like that yeah i do yeah i actually consider myself to be a success story i'm very hesitant and to say that it's because of me, uh, but whatever it may be, I have a very strong feeling that I will be a very true visceral spiritual sensation that I will be okay and that I will be a better version of myself year by year until I die of reasons that are not my own, not self-inflicted. Yeah. Other than your uh, therapist and now me, well, actually, I don't know for sure your therapist. How many people know about any or all of those three incidents? Uh, just you. Literally no one else. Did you ever get a diagnosis that you agree with? I have post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm -hmm. I have major depressive disorder, I believe it's called. And then I have, I can't remember the type of anxiety that I have. It's not generalized anxiety disorder. It's, it's more like acute and circumstantial than that. There was a personality disorder that I can't remember the name of, but that was two clinicians differed in there. One said no, one said yes. So that wasn't like a hard diagnosis. But oh, And then I have po post-concussive disorder just from the car crash. You like that word? And I agree with all of those. You, know, you think they're disorders. Is that the right word? Disorder? 
Oh, okay. In that sense, no. I actually the DSM from where all those come from. I guess I it, it, the book kind of creeps me out. To be honest, it's very cold. I again, like I I I am an evidence based person in a lot of my perspectives. So I, I do feel like it's the perhaps like the best that we can do in terms of formulating like ideas and language around this stuff. It's not perfect. One thing that I absolutely despise, though, in that same vein, is the out of 10 scale, I hate that so much, whether it be pain or, or, or depression, right. like out of 10, do you feel distraught? So and, you know, it's, it's very, it's so subjective, that it, it's virtually meaningless. Maybe that's why Americans don't use the metric system, because we don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you're wrong on that one. One time we got it right because we hate that too. Are you on meds to help with any of this stuff? Yeah, I'm actually uh, on like a super, super low dose weaning off of a SSRI, normal, mm -hmm. I think it's called escitalopram. I take an as needed do uh, amphetamine called dexedrine, which is like a, a study, one of the study drugs, I guess you could call it. That is primarily the post-concussive stuff it helps with focus and just focus and, and and wakefulness um and then i have bottles of clonazepam is that what it's called the the, the opiate that I, I i hate that stuff um you do i hate it i hate it hate it and again like i, I know it's a crisis now in the world with addiction issues but I, um i despise it i have used it in, in intense circumstances but I'll throw it out one day. It's just sitting there above my, in my kitchen. And then I have some bottles of very, very bad clinicians in my past from these short term facilities where they just kind of were like checking off boxes and getting you the fuck out the door so they can do it to the next person of really bad antipsychotic medicines that were, I later found out were primarily used for more split personality or schizophrenic conditions. And, and I've had, you know, some doctors that I have come to like and appreciate of being like questioning the validity of, or, or the deservingness of someone's medical degree, if they were to ever give those medicines to me. And so, yeah, that really, can yeah. Leave, it's left me pretty jaded. Those medicines are extreme and they, oh. they put, they put me into the hospital. I, 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 I was having ramen in a ramen shop and i had a mental breakdown because of getting onto this certain yeah. medicine just insane so irresponsible you know i if you've heard the podcast you know i ask a couple of questions that tend to relate revolve around the idea of are you going to be here in a few years or what's the likelihood but you kind of answered it when you say to me when you say aloud you're almost a success story and you're going to be okay and you feel it in your bones like that's the answer yeah Yes. And uh, I think I'd even go further than that. I, I, I want to use some of my experience and, and, and some of just my general skills as a person to, I don't know what it will look like, but I, I want to develop some sort of conduit for people to find help themselves. And, and so it is, a, it is a bit of a life mission of mine, actually. Again, I, I don't know what it'll look like. It's, it's a very logistical issue. And with the Canadian government, there's a lot of uh, red tape and Etc. But I do feel very strongly um, about it, and just from my experience being a, uh, a white male, what is considered able-bodied and stuff, that's just that's probably where I will lean because that's what I know. Something like that. All right, cool. Last question: Other things that we didn't get to revolving around myths, misconceptions. I I would say that uh, there is no one size fits all. I think that. I had spent years turning up my nose and scoffing at certain methods that turned out to be some of the most helpful things and probably helped me stay alive. And so don't run from any method and keep your mind as open as possible. As hard as that seems, try to take people from where they're coming, which is a, if they're coming from a place of help, try to appreciate that and you don't have to listen to someone or take their advice in order to appreciate where they're coming from because some advice and most of advice is going to be shit it's going to be bad it's going to be mm -hmm. going to be naive like we mentioned before but uh, try to 
try to have the empathy of understanding that they probably care about you and they, they want you to do better. They want you to do good and recover from whatever you're going through. Um, and then also medicine is me- medicine can medicine can really help. I've had it hurt me. I've had it really help me. Just again, don't don't run from it and try to try to listen and and, and strongly strongly consider it. Consider taking it. We're done, my friend. Unless you want, what else would you like to add? Because you know. Yeah, well, here's something to add. Uh, yeah. You're fucking awesome, and I can stay from personal experience that hearing people mm. in conversation with you emboldened me to speak out, and not only in talking with you to other people, but admitting to myself and to other people my vulnerabilities and my 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 weakness and 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 uh, fragility and embracing it and and working toward healing it um or or living with it in a functional way so you're doing something amazing here and whatever it looks like in the future keep going please improve your youtube presence because i feel like there's more people on youtube and and uh I I'd see. love to watch you talk. Thank you for for saying all that. I appreciate it. Yeah, the the, the power of of listening is infinite, and keep uh, making giving people like me an opportunity to listen to other people's stories. Thank you, thank you, thank you a million times. Thank you. You are very welcome, my friend. Very welcome. Thank you, Al. Appreciate your time. Thanks, Sean. Uh, you're a great guy. Keep doing you too, my friend. Keep doing what you're doing, and we'll uh, we'll connect soon. Have a good uh, afternoon. You as well. Bye. As always, thanks so much for listening and all of your support. Special thanks to L up in British Columbia. Thank you, L. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at suicidenoted.com on Facebook or Twitter at Suicide Noted. Check the show notes to learn more about the podcast, including our membership. We would love your support in that way. However, listening is more than enough. And hey, maybe tell a friend or two. They might want to hear it as well. And that is all for episode number 197. Stay strong. Do the best you can. I'll talk to you soon.